The Spartan Nationals are coming to Jacksonville, Florida, April 8th through the 10th. Wrestle freestyle, folk style, Greco, and beach at the Spartan Nationals. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. That's SpartanCombat.com. So I had the check. I had the lubrication to get the equipment to uh, Slovakia. Now all I had to do was put my big boy pants on and, and actually jump on a flight and go to the Ukrainian border. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Monday, March 28th, coming to you from the windy Chicago IL. The city's playing tricks on us, folks. It was 60 last week. It's 20 today. But alas, here we go. Episode with Joe DeSena coming your way. He's joined by Mike Palazzo, the head coach at Lake Highland Prep. And this podcast is a two-fold podcast. We talk about Joe's trip to the Slovakian-Ukrainian border where he was taking a bunch of supplies out there. Crazy story. Can't wait for you to hear it. And then we shift and talk about the NCAA tournament and some of the Spartan combat athletes who competed there. Fan of the week goes to our friend John White, a high school ref out of West Chicago, a good friend and a supporter of this show. John, it was great to see you last weekend. Really, really appreciate all the support of the podcast. And before we get to this episode, real quick, this interview was recorded last Monday. So when we're talking about the NCAA double tournament, it's as if it just happened. All right, that's it. Let's get to the interview with Joe DeSena and Mike Palazzo. Joe DeSena, Mike Palazzo, welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. How are we doing? Doing great. Hey, how are you? Awesome. We got uh, two gentlemen from Florida calling in today. Uh, I just got back from the Nationals, and, and Joe, I know we had talked about syncing up there, but turns out you've been in Ukraine for a couple days, and I just thought it'd be a good opportunity for you to come on and, and tell everyone what, what the heck you've been doing out there. Yeah. So you, I don't, no one knows this story, but um, about two weeks ago, two plus weeks ago, when, when the war broke out, um, we have an advisor at Spartan who used to be the CEO of Reebok and the CMO of Adidas. He actually came up with a tagline impossible is nothing. So he, Mike, you don't even know this. He texts me and he says, why aren't you, you know, at the Ukrainian border. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not going to the Ukrainian border. And he goes, well, I mean, your whole brand and, and like, you should be helping out. And, um, 
it kind of made sense. It went in one ear and out the other. I was busy with whatever, but that just seemed ridiculous. Um, too dangerous. I have a family, whatever. Um, a couple days later, I get a, a picture from my team. We have a team in Eastern Europe. We have a very large business in Eastern Europe. It's one of our strongest markets in the world. Romania, Hungary, Czech, Slovakia, and even the Ukraine. Um, but it's not a market that a lot of people pay attention to, even though it's so strong and we go so deep there. Um, and and my, my friend texts me an image of a Spartan truck going into the Ukraine. And so I say to my social people, hey, post this. I didn't realize we were doing this. Our, apparently our team is bringing humanitarian aid to the Ukraine. So my social guy posts it. And then like seven or eight hours later, um, my... My friend, my partner over there hits me up and says, hey, we got a lot of street cred from posting, but you didn't do anything, Joe. Like, we're doing all the work over here. Like, we're loading trucks. And, and so I said, you're right. I said, what could we do? He said, well, the one thing the Ukrainians are begging for, not just the Ukrainians, but we have an office that's still operating right now in Kiev. Okay? They, they're begging for um, night vision goggles and bulletproof vests. So... I'm no, I've always been known my whole life as a guy who like figures it out and gets it done. And I was like, how the hell am I going to get night vision goggles and bulletproof vests? Right. <laughs> so we have a lot of military contacts. I hit up my military guys and it's nearly impossible because it's hard to move military gear to another country. Like, and thankfully it's that way. Like you, you, you wouldn't, as an American, you don't, you don't want us to develop things or have cool stuff that just randomly gets shipped around the world. Um, but it turns out, unbeknownst to me, that some of our team members in Slovakia work for the, the Defense Department of Slovakia. So that night, they get on the phone with my military friends in the U.S., and we have brokered a deal, this is like a week ago, to move bulletproof vests, protective vests, from the U.S. to Slovakia. If we're going to do that, I'm thinking, I probably should go over there and... And then, and then it comes up, oh, by the way, you got to buy these things. And they're pretty damn expensive. So I'm on the phone with a friend of mine. I know this is dragging out the story. I apologize. But I'm on the phone with a friend of mine who owns Saks Fifth Avenue and Hudson Bay Company. He's done really, really well. We're good friends. And he says, whatever you need, just tell me what the check is. I'll write it. So I had the check. I had the lubrication to get the equipment to uh, Slovakia. Now all I had to do was put my big boy pants on and, and actually jump on a flight and go to the Ukrainian border. Um, and what I like to do in life, I don't know if you do this, Mike, or you do this, Ryan, but what I do is I start telling everybody I'm doing something whenever I'm on the fence about doing it because, and I do it publicly because then I'm, I'm committed. I don't want to, right? I don't want to be a fraud. So yeah, I'm going, I'm going to Ukraine. I'm, going, I'm telling everybody right now, like, no, what am I going to do? I hadn't even told my wife yet. So, um, but my wife comes from a family of FBI, so she was incredibly like, like no big deal. Maybe she was hoping I never made it home. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I, um, <laughs> I got the flight and, but here's a great part of the story. As this is all going down, sitting behind me in this new office I'm in, in Orlando is a guy that I hear taking phone calls. Well, if I help him out, he might be dead tonight. And I'm like, what are you working on? And he goes, I'm working on this app, a crowdsourcing app that's never been done before where people could help find 
loved ones in situations like the Ukraine or if there's a hurricane or wherever there's mass movement of people and happens quickly, um, you could snap pictures or whatever, and then we could crowdsource. So I was like, look, I'm going over there like tomorrow if you want to come. And he's like, I'm in. So he jumps on a plane with me and we go over and we land and who picks us up? We land, we land in Vienna, Austria. And who picks us up is the, is the, is the lawyer I told you about that um, works for the Secretary of Defense in Slovakia. Drives us eight hours up close to the border. And um, he says, listen, I'd love to stay. He drops us off. But I have, a, I have a meeting tomorrow with the U.S. Secretary of Defense in Slovakia. So I got I to gotta drive back to Bratislava. So, um, so anyway, that, that's, that's how the whole thing uh, came about. And, and the best part, obviously, was that we, we delivered vests. Uh, another great part was that I got to meet a lot of these refugee um, families, mostly women and children. 80, 90 percent of all the people I saw coming across the border were, were women and children. They typically had one or two plastic bags full of everything they could grab as quickly as they could. I would say 80% of the people coming across the border, the women and children, have a place to go. Somehow they have a connection somewhere in Eastern Europe. Remember, this used to be one connected place years ago. And, uh, but 20% of them, which is a big number, in Slovakia alone, that's 700 to 1,000 women a night with kids, um, have nowhere to go. And so they get to they get to a really cool refugee camp, which is very clean. It's awesome. But um, but they don't know where to go. And 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 so a bunch of people, including our Spartan team, will um, bring them somewhere to a to a family that's willing to house them to a hotel that's willing to give them a room um, or whatever. But but it's quite a it's a volume of people. I think they're well over three million people now that have come across the border. Um, and then, I'm sorry I'm rambling with all this stuff, but, but it was a pretty wild trip. And then um, a friend of mine, very, very high level special forces, runs a few groups that you guys know about, um, saw that I was in Slovakia. So he's like, I'll be there in two hours. So him and a couple of special forces guys, which made me feel really good. Um, and it was good for them because they said they need to research what they call NGOs, non-governmental organizations. They need to go to the border in different countries, see what's going on, because they're trying to um, continue to supply whatever um, the Ukrainians need and keep the fight going from the Ukrainian side. And, um, and it's just helpful for them. And so I got to spend uh, two days with those guys, and it made me feel pretty pretty safe and just badass hanging out with those guys, you know? And then in the in some those, validation. Yeah. In the, in those two days where I got to hang out with my, my buddies, there were two things that came up that Mike you'll love for the wrestling program and Ryan, you'll love for your, for your audience. One my, my buddy said, I said, how's your family doing? He said, great. And he's got like a three-year-old and, and a one-year-old. And he said, but I noticed that the three-year-old, um, was giving, as my wife was, was FaceTiming with me each night so I could stay in touch with my family, my three-year-old was giving my one-year-old little toy cars to play with. And we thought, wow, we must have did a great job parenting because most kids don't share their toys, <laughs> right? And he said, upon closer inspection, what he found was that his older son was taking the cars that had no eyes on them, the, the non-valuable cars, and giving those to the younger child. 
And so they wanted to do a test. They took, they took those, those cars, which were less valuable, and put them at the bottom of the pile on top of all the good cars and did it again. And sure enough, the kid dug through everything and only gave the less valuable cars to the brother to play with. And so this guy, this friend of mine that, that runs this, this unit, he said, you know, we all, have to, um, we all have to give cars with eyes. We have to give to the point where it hurts. It obviously would hurt my son to give him one of the good cars. And so when we think about giving, like we all think we give, but did it really hurt? Because if it didn't hurt, you didn't really give much. And I thought that was, that was an awesome lesson for me to, to learn going over there because, yeah, I jumped on a plane. I went over. My friend raised some money. You know, we, we raised some money. We bought the stuff. But it didn't really hurt. It wasn't that big a deal, you know? Um, so I think it was a great life lesson for me. And then the other one he taught me was um, he spent a lot of time while he's over there for the last, you know, three, four weeks with all the NATO countries and, and even countries that, you know, want to be part of NATO that are all working together to try to end this war. And um, maybe there's some rift between a couple of countries. Maybe there's somebody they don't like. And what they found was you got to close, they, he called it close the distance. When you don't like somebody, you're pissed off. Maybe there's some friction. He said, you get on the phone with them is okay. But, but if you get up close and personal and have a conversation, and you close the distance you pretty much can get past anything with another human being. And so I got to give more cars with eyes and I got to close the distance. Those are my two <laughs> big lessons coming out of uh, the Ukrainian <laughs> Mike, had you heard about any of this, this trip yet? I did. I did. I heard that he was going and I was like, man, this guy's really nuts. But, um, but it sounded like it was really safe and um, that was for a good cause. That's awesome. And it's, uh, I, I got to tell you, around, you know, Joe's in Orlando now. So he's telling people, like you said, I'm going to do this and going to do that. And, you know, it's funny how other parents and other people are going, yeah, that guy's really is nuts. Like, yeah. It just validated how crazy Joe is, right? You know, like, why would he do that? Um, but, you know, look, he had a good plan. Uh, look, he's, he's safe. All's good. A lot of people got help. Right? So, well worth it. So, Joe, what was the temperament of the women and children coming across the border? And why were the, was it the men were staying because they're staying to fight? The men are all staying to fight. I had an opportunity to call the, uh, in between calling Mike and getting updates at the NCAAs. Um, he had, by the way, he had the most valuable updates, Mike. Um, I, I was talking to our office that still exists in the Ukraine, in, in Kiev, and um he said, he said, you know, the Russians were getting pretty tricky at this point. I said, what do you mean? He said, they're putting grenades under wounded or dead bodies so that when we go to like help the wounded or remove a dead body, the grenade goes off. He said, um, and I don't know if it's in the news or not, not to sound too graphic, but he said, now there's a lot of raping going on. They're, like there's a lot of stuff all meant to um, break the spirit of the Ukraine. And it makes sense. I mean, they're in war, right? And that's, this is, this is what happens at war. Um, but the craziest thing was he said, even though all that's going on and there's a missile flying over our building, you find yourself just kind of going on with the day, like a normal day, like, like, Hey, don't burn the potatoes while they're making breakfast or mm -hmm. let's, let's go outside. Like he said, it is, it is a little bizarre how, how you, you, you go through your day 
And because of all that, the, the, the women and children, like they're just, they're moving them across the border. And they're pretty stoic people. I can't say that I ran into a bunch of women that were crying or anything, but then when I had somebody translate and I started to ask questions, you, you would get a breakdown when, um, when they started to explain that they didn't believe it at first, then the building next to them blew up and then they had to leave everybody and then they would tear up, you know, but otherwise they were pretty stoic. Yeah. And these are hard. I wonder, Joe. Yeah. I I wonder, Joe, do you think that um, reverse it around and and have uh, these people be Americans? Um, How how do, how do do you see a difference? How would we deal with it? Well, that's the problem, right? Like, Like my whole life I've been enamored with Eastern Europeans because they're just so tough. And, and I'm a believer that um, our, our entire species, doesn't matter what country, where we're from, that we're all tough deep down inside, but then we learn helplessness. And so when you ask about Americans in general, me included, by the way, when you know we have climate controlled houses, everything's perfect. Um, you, you build these layers of helplessness that have to be peeled away. And um, at least the Eastern Europeans I know they don't have that many layers of helplessness. Like they're, they're pretty rugged. Um, so I don't, I don't know how we would have been able to deal with it. You know, maybe, maybe some Northern Alaskans would have did pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those, that's just a different way of living over there. It's just uh, hard to imagine, you know, what's going on. And, and so while you're over there, Joe, you're getting updates on the wrestling tournament though. At the same time, you're kind of juggling both things. Well, here's the crazy thing. I mean, you know, we have a Spartan team of athletes and um, they're all unbelievable athletes. And when Vito lost, I was confused. I didn't know if maybe there was confusion in the text I was getting. And I got in touch with Mike and Mike said, I don't know, we got a bad call. And I, I thought that's bizarre because Mike is watching this on his television Everybody else I know is at the tournament. No one else complained about a bad, you know, said to me, Vito got a bad call. But then when I spoke to Yanni's dad, to Aaliyah, Aaliyah the next day said, you know, I think Vito had a bad call. And, uh, and so, Mike, maybe you want to comment on it. You saw something that I assume Vito saw. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. They, they, they went over and they reviewed it. some action that happened after this, but just prior there was no doubt in my mind that Vito had a reversal and was in control of back points. And, um, and yet they, they looked at it and saw, you know, uh, him getting scored on having back points. And I just couldn't see any world where that was actual reality. If you look at it, go back, watch it 10 times in a row. I don't know how that is. Wasn't, you know, as obvious as could be. I'm sure they're kind of pretzeled up. The reality is that that was Vito's move, hands down. He purposely put him there, and um, and he was controlling and holding him on his back. I, I just it was it was really hard for me to like uh, to watch. And I don't think too many people actually might have like seen it because you have to see right when the action takes place. But right when it took place, it was Vito's choice to to go that direction to put him in that position, and um, it looked like a clear reversal to me. And uh, it's a shame. Obviously, both guys are, are superstars and uh, worthy, but but at that moment, I would say that uh, he definitely is the victim of a really bad call. I 
Mike, to your point, I was there I, and watching it. Right. Really couldn't tell what was going on, but it looked it was a very odd sequence. But I rewatched it today in preparation for this conversation. It's clear as day. Vito had the reversal, and then I think two near fall of his own, and then this kind yeah. of roll through happens, and it's like it's a very odd roll through. I've never seen it before. And um, yeah, but somehow they don't call it the reverse. So they don't call the near fall for Vito, but they go for the other way. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? It was bad. It was bad. I mean, I'm, it's funny. Cause I'm, I was in a, um, I was at home and uh, my, my in-laws are there and I'm like losing it. Like that, they have no idea anything about wrestling, right? They're like, what is this guy like talking about? But I was so sure of what I had seen. And luckily, I, you know, if I look back at it and I've watched it probably six times since, I'm like, ah, it's absolutely, you know, it was, it was right. I mean, there's no way it's not a reversal. And I know Vito feels the same way. I, I know that he made a conscious decision to, to hit it and to, you know, go that direction. And, and you know, it, it, it was definitely not something, a position that they just ended up in, but it was his choice to put them in that position. So it was a tough one to watch. These guys can't get them all right. Yeah, no, it's a, it was a couple questionable calls, but that one sticks out. Just incredible wrestling. The upsets, the, just the talent level was insane. Joe, what have you seen just from working with some of these superstars like David Carr, Yanni and Vito, Shane Griffith? Uh, I know you had a lot of experience in the ultra, ultra running world and some of those athletes, but what's jumped out to you just from working with these studs for a year or so? Just great human beings, you know, that that's that it's more important than winning or losing. It's it's um, it's important. They know uh, win or lose that we're we're 100 percent behind them. Just good human beings like even even I'm sure you guys saw Yanni's interview, right, where he was he he won, but he was upset at himself and, and um, just love that about his personality. I mean, car, the whole car family, their soul to the earth. Right. Uh, Vito, we spent uh, Palazzo and I spent three, four days with them just before the NCAAs. Um, they're just great people. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really nice. Pe- they are. And um, I like to get to that level. You have to have you know, a good moral base about you. Coach Palazzo, I know you had a couple guys go in there. Um, was it uh, Ben Golden and Elijah, two guys from you who wrestled? Yeah. Yeah. Larry and Ben wrestled and um, we kind of got this other guy, Mike D'Agostino, that we like to claim. While he wasn't a Lake Highland prep guy, he spent uh, a whole lot of time with us and uh, we love him. He's, he's part of our family. He's, uh, he's a special kid. There's no doubt about it. Um, as far as he's come and where he's come from, he's done well. And, you know, Elijah's done now. Uh, no more eligibility, but uh, Ben's got a couple seasons left. He's doing well. I would expect to see quite a few more guys pop up next year. There's a lot of guys out there, so we'll see what happens. Diagostino's one of your guys. I, I didn't know that. That's uh, He's amazing. He looks like a bear out there. He just never stops wrestling, man. He just, you know, he just, he's the, he's the epitome of a kid who, I, you know, I think Michael took the best that he ever did in a high school state tournament, maybe a third one time in the Florida States. Um, yeah, I, he had some uh, knee injury and another knee injury, but he, the guy just never missed anything. He would drive uh, an hour and a half to get to practice every single day uh, and never missed a beat. Uh, he, he, and he wasn't that guy then, but you could, but everybody would always say the same thing. 
wait and see what happens, man. And that kid is going to get some, and, and he sure as heck did. There's no doubt about it. And he's proven that uh, hard work definitely, um, you know, prevails. And and he's a great kid, just like my, Joe just said. He's one of those guys who's just uh, he's he's the he's the poster child of wrestling. He's just a damn good kid, and um, good things happen for people. I, I honestly believe that. So we're proud of that guy. Uh, no doubt. I can tell you, watching the tournament, um, the one thing I've been trying to get, I think I mentioned this to you, Joe, but if there was a way, so let's take a match like uh, finals match, uh, Sriracha's match, okay? Uh, so so if you tried to calculate what the actual calorie burn was in that finals match with the amount of action that took place with those two unbelievable athletes, big bodied boys, um, and, and it was constant action from start to finish. Um, I don't know if anything in sports actually um, even holds a stick to the amount of energy exerted during that period of time, right? Which is seven, eight minutes, right? So an eight minute go, and, and I don't know how other people look at it, but we're always trying to find ways to get people to understand our sport, right? To understand how grueling or how hard it really is, right? Um, a runner could probably run eight minutes as hard as they can, but no way come near. And I'm guessing I could be wrong, but, uh, I think I'm right. Nowhere near the amount of actually energy expended, right. Uh, which would be calories burned basically during the same period of time from a motion like running, as opposed to a full out eight minute, uh, you know, wrestling match at that level with two human beings pushing on each other that hard um, and, and that's one thing that i noticed so much with the penn state guys sort of the relentless with their with their action and they're constantly pressing the score points um and they they make wrestling exciting too um and by the way they win a lot so it's neat um guys like yanni are doing it you know uh, they're um you guys hear me Yanni's upset because he didn't score enough points. And, um, you know, it, it's neat to see because it's, it's no wonder why he's the guy he is, um, where they're constantly looking to improve, do more. And that makes wrestling exciting. It's not necessarily exciting to watch wrestling when there's no points being scored. So this, this tournament itself was awesome in that regard. There was a lot of action. Yeah, it's a, there's a group of wrestlers that you do see a lot of those zero zero first periods and hanging on to a you know a win a one point win a two point win. But guys that you mentioned, Dean Hamidi from Wisconsin, and other guys just going for broke out there. I love watching him. So all yeah, around, awesome. awesome. He's amazing, right? Yeah, maybe an Austin Gomez. I didn't get to watch too many of his matches to tell you the truth. I watched one of them, but he's a kind of a guy, an action guy that that uh, puts himself into a lot of. Uh, situations and stuff and of course i'm biased because he's went to my high school but um but uh, there, there's there, there's some guys out there and you can see the cream of the crop are guys who attack and they score points yep absolutely and joe i know you're uh you're going to be sending your kids to lake highland prep uh coach coach palazzo are you out in the in the prep league now or are you still competing in the florida states we're out we're, we're this was the very first year that we did so COVID threw us a real curveball because we didn't really, for two seasons, we didn't do anything. Um, 
you know, we did, but we didn't compete in this high school state tournament two years in a row. Um, and then, we, but we said idle, we weren't necessarily at national preps either. But at last year's national preps um, wasn't exactly national preps the tournament that we just didn't go to. This year was, it was the first year we were in it. Um, you know, it, it's exciting. I think we're, we're, we're expecting to do things. I didn't get into it not to do well. So um, we'll keep pushing and see how high we can climb up there. And I guess the one thing that people ask me, like, you know, coach, how different is it? You know, it is different. You know, you sign up. If you win that tournament, you're the probably the best team in the country, right? So um, you could put yourself in a situation where you could never win anything ever again. And uh, quite frankly, that's probably good for my kids. Uh, you know, it keep everybody on, on it. And if you're going to win every year, then you got a lot of work to do. Yeah, it, it's good. It's exciting. We're expecting you to do that. Yeah, you see your guys like Elijah Rivera and Danny uh, Nini stepping up. And, you know, you're going up against the Malverns, the, the Wyoming Sims, the Blair. So awesome. You guys are in there. And I know school out in Arizona run by Eric Larkin, I believe. Uh, they're trying to do the same right now. Yeah, he's fighting to get in there. I don't know if he's going to get in or not, but it would be great. I mean, I would say that the more the better. I, I, you, know, um, you, you want it to be. It's It's got to be the toughest postseason tournament out there. Uh, you just took those those three, four, five schools, and then you took the individuals. Um, you know, it's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. I think uh, uh, you know, Eli Rivera was like six seed, um, and he's you know a top 15, top 10 kid in the country, and he's a six seed at that tournament. Um, that's a pretty tough postseason tournament for you know, in a lot of weight classes. So, um, yeah, we're excited to be there, no doubt. Just uh, we got work to do, and we're going to do it. Yeah, and Joe, I know that as we kind of wind this down, Spartan Comet's been busy this year. Just signed Kylie Welker, University of Iowa's first you know, big-time signing, and she's a, she's a superstar in the women's ranks. But you know, the most near thing coming up is the Spartan Nationals coming up in uh, April 8th through the 10th in Florida. Um, excited for that? How, how are things coming along as we get nearer to that tournament? It's going, it's going great. I'm gonna, we're going to get a chance to see Palazzo versus Larkin. Um, they're, they're coming, they're coming down. Valiant's coming. They are coming. Great. Yeah. Obviously Kong and, you know, there'll be some, some of the big teams there. So it'll be fun. And my kids are, are already under um, Palazzo. When we walked into Palazzo's room on January 3rd and I got on the, um, you know, the, the Airdyne bike, the assault bike and, <laughs> And I looked around and I saw all these like first place flags he has hanging in this giant wrestling room. I thought we are out of our league. (laughs) Um, But then I, you know, as I biked on the thing, I was thinking this is exactly what I asked people to do in life. And so, um, so my boys are going to have to figure it out. And they told me, they did tell me within the first week, they said, dad, um, his workouts are a lot harder than yours. So I said, good. All right. We're in the right place then. Damn. Yeah. Well, besides like going on a, you know, a 400 mile run, <laughs> which takes too long to do. You know, you know what they were talking yeah. about yesterday? They were saying it was, it was like four of the kids were together. They took me to eat, believe it or not, Mike, they took me to eat at um, Floyd's pigs or something some barbecue place they yeah pig floyd's right yeah pig floyd's and um we're sitting down i was just listening to the four of them talk and they said um oh my god when he makes us do that one workout where like 
we think it's over and then there's two more. <laughs> and then there's, and then, <laughs> you're, you're definitely making them tougher. It's just how wrestling is. You know, I think that most guys train people like that, uh, you know, our sport, there's never really fixed amount of time. You don't really don't know. And you got to be able to deal with curveballs. And I think their, their brains get wired like that. And I, I'm confident that uh, most of the higher level groups out there are constantly throwing curveballs at their, at their guys. Uh, and it's a tough one for wrestlers to have to swallow. You know, most other things get really controlled necessarily. Um, there's a start, there's a finish. Um, I guess you could say a wrestling match does. There's all these other factors involved that are curveballs, including not perfect circumstances, which is probably the biggest one. Um, I just wrestled the match, you know, this round I won, but I jammed my finger and my neck is killing me and my knee is tweaked and, uh, and my stomach hurts all at the same time. You, you got to be able to recreate a lot of those situations so those guys are able to perform um, down the line. Curveballs and workouts help do help, help fix that. I was just thinking, and that reminds me of a story. Adam Terrapelli was telling me he was in the national finals and wrestling Tony Davis. And, you know, rarely is Terrapelli in a cradle on his back, but at some point in the match, Tony Davis sneaks a, a cradle on him. And he said he exerted so much energy getting out of that cradle in that 15 seconds that the rest of the match was pretty much spent for him. And uh, so you never know when you're going to be like Vito on your back or like Terrapelli in a cradle in the national finals and your gas tank zeroed out. Um, just like that. Yeah, who got who got locked up in a cradle in the finals uh, this weekend? Uh, it was a teamer came out and put a cradle on Deacon, did he not? Um, I'd have to go I back and was. watch. And, uh, you know, it's unusual, but he fought back. You know, he, he, he fought back. That's, uh, I, I think he only ended up scoring two, but he had it locked up, and there was a point there where, wow, this could be like, you know, this could be it. So you, you just never know what's going to happen in our sport for sure. So. Yep. Well, gentlemen, as we sign off, Joe, any last words, coach Palazzo, any last words? I would say, um, I want to leave you with, make sure we give away cars with eyes and we close the gap. <laughs> cars with eyes. I mean, so what you're saying, Joe, is we want to give away things that people want. Um, people want, and that hurt us to give them away. In other words, if it didn't cost us or hurt us, then we didn't really give. Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right. Awesome. Guys, Thanks, guys. guys. Awesome. Wisdom. You, All right, guys. Thank you. Yeah. We'll see you, Ryan. Thank you so much for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was brought to you by Spartan Combat. You can register now for the Spartan Nationals taking place April 8th through the 10th at SpartanCombat.com. To keep up with Wrestling Changed My Life on social media, follow us on Instagram at Wrestling Changed My Life. You can also go to WrestlingChangedMyLife.com for all past episodes. That's it, and we'll see you next time.